Welcome to Impact Duty. I'm your host, Manisha Dadlani Kriplani, bringing you empowering stories of friends and people I admire. Their voices have given me joy and the momentum to share their stories with you. Sangeeta Wadwani is a prolific author, magazine editor, a self-professed third-wave feminist, and an artist. While many celebrities have crossed her path as the executive editor at Hello, what inspires her the most are stories of transformation through her years working at Star TV, Elle, L'Officiel, and helming the editorial at Hello. Sangeeta has used the lockdown time to reflect on what the new Indian woman seeks in her latest book, Mind the Gap. We discuss this book and many of her other books in the upcoming episode. Hello, Sangeeta. How are you? I'm good. Just back from a holiday in the mountains and the rains. It was just so refreshing. Yes, I saw some of the pictures. I saw some of the pictures. Such beautiful shades of green. Green. You know, Bob, India can be really spectacular. We just keep wanting to run to Europe and all these other countries. But within in the monsoon, I think India is one of the prettiest countries to travel in. Everything right. is clean. The air is clean. The clouds come down. You're literally one with nature. It's really a spectacular season. And we went trekking in the mountains. So I've been, wow. I've not been a trekker. Most of my life, I'm on a computer, on a laptop. And you know how life can get. So totally. when we got away to this resort, they actually had the option of a, of a morning trek. Uh-huh. So we got up early and we got into our tennis shoes and we said, okay, let's try and give this a shot. So wow. we are just so happy it happened the way it did because with three women, we ended up meditating. We were sitting in, it would be very awe-inspiring, the mountains in front of us, the clouds incredible. coming down. Yeah, it was just incredible, incredible. And you said this was Lonavla, right? Yes, Lonavla. It's a place we stayed in called the Della Resort. Uh-huh. So Della designs your weekend for you so that you're not bored. Uh, you know, you have horse riding options, you have trekking options. Otherwise, people just go there, play cards, gamble, drink. Uh, very few of them know how to go for a trek, you know. But this mm-hmm. was an option we had within the weekend package. So I was really glad that we took that option, you know. Yeah, I mean, I see that the face of tourism has definitely changed both for yeah. um, local tourists and from around the world. Um, I think Absolutely. they've upped a notch. Yeah. But I think a place like Della is particularly nice. They also have adventure camps in another part called the Della, uh-huh. Della Data. And they uh-huh. have uh, these sort of villas in the forest area. So it's, it's one of those places that's actually using the location properly. You know, whereas a lot of other places, they just have a good Sunday buffet. You right. eat and then you're out. <laughs> and that's it. Wow. So, I can't wait to come yeah. to India. I really can't you wait can't, to. We'll make a plan back. and we'll hang there together. It'll be really <laughs> <nice>. <laughs> Sounds beautiful. But before yeah. that, I'm so excited to talk to you about your new book. Um, from what I understand, um, the new yeah. book that you've just released, it's called mm-hmm. Mind the Gap. Um, and it's cool. been a pandemic creation. Am I right? I mean, this is an idea that stemmed um, during this period. Uh, yeah, or so did you know, to tell you the truth, living in Bombay, I've always seen women are very, very independent. And uh-huh. a lot of them are single and they don't know right. maybe why. Some of them are single right. after being married. Some of them are just single. Okay. Right. So the stories that are of their lives were already close to my heart because many of them are friends of mine. Right. And five years ago, I, I floated this idea to a friend of mine in the publishing business. Her name right. is Shobha Day. 
And yeah. I just told her, I said, don't you think this would be an interesting book to work on? Right. So she came and she's, she's been my confidant for a lot of new projects that I work on. So she said, yes, sure, Sangeeta, but it sounds like a lot of work. And obviously, when you're editing a magazine like Hello, you know, you're out there at shoots, you're at events, mm-hmm. uh, you're at the fashion weeks, you're at all the happening things in the city. So I really didn't have the space in my life to start writing a new book. But right. obviously, when lockdown happened, the first thing that thought that bubbled up was that, you know, this is an ideal time to do things one has not had the time to do. And mm-hmm. I just so happened to get an email from a publisher called Adhyan Publishing. Uh, uh-huh. And they did a marketing, they did a marketing seminar, which was free webinar, uh, where they challenged people to become authors in 21 days. Wow. So it was this 21 day superpower author intensive challenge. And right. we had to spend some money to enter into the challenge. But I just said that, you know, life is short and one shouldn't be worrying about pennies right now. So mm-hmm. I said, fine, I'll sign up for this. And I signed up for it. And I gave myself a one month deadline to write it. Uh, right. But he did warn us that some of you may need in- inputs from other people, which will take time. So you may not finish in a month's time. So I didn't kill myself over that. And it did take time because I went, I circled back to all these interesting women around me and I sent them questions about uh, being part of a society that's inherently patriarchal and how their journeys panned out so that they've chosen to be on their own. And all of them have amazing achievements to their credit. You know, they were powerful women. So one was the anchor at the India Today television network. Uh, One was a vegan fashion brand uh, developer and a model. Another was a Butte Television CEO. She borrowed money from her father and she uh-huh. grew like a 1,000 crore company in a pretty short span of time, so I think seven to eight years. Right. So, so I had like, yeah, I had these stories just floating around in front of me. So it took me a little while. I collated all their stories. And uh-huh. then I even went into other directions of the patriarchy story. Like I, I delved into the fact that often married women wait very long before they can fulfill their dream because they prioritize everything else. Um, obviously, in a city today in Bombay where a lot of men are very casual about relating, uh, very many of them are not even looking to marry. Mm-hmm. Um, the knock-on effect of that has been that women are increasingly free of the patriarchal system because the men are not around have actually invented and reinvented what it means to be a woman. Right. You know, so they're multitasking, they're traveling, sometimes they're adopting kids. I did not interview Sushmita Sen, but to me, she is a prototype of that uh-huh. kind of a woman. Uh-huh. And uh, in every which way, if, if men become weaker and less decisive and show less character, then there is a knock-on effect that the other gender will only get stronger. She will get more defined in her worldview. She'll get more independent. Because that support system has just kind of crumbled. You know what I'm saying? And now I also feel that there is this new age coupling that's happening. So part of the message in the book, in Mind the Gap, is that, you know, do we need to follow the old patriarchal story at all? Or can we reinvent the way we relate? Where Mm -hmm. the men don't come in with that old baggage that I'm the entitled one. I am my mother's favorite. I have always had all the best food in the house and the best educational mm-hmm. opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, so the man then, so now the funny thing is I feel I am part of the bridge generation. So the, a lot of this transitioning has happened in my time. 
a right. younger generation will have the new coupling because there is absolutely no doubt that the woman <clears throat> is very capable right but our generation there were a lot of breakaways and breakthroughs and so the men have to catch up mm-hmm. so that was actually the message in mind the gap that guys if you're going out there don't go out there with this traditional mentality that a woman is just going to sit around where you want her to be she's just going to occupy a fixed niche in your home she has mm-hmm. a fixed place in the kitchen and a fixed place on the couch and she will not open her mouth and she will not question you about business or anything that kind of coupling belong to another time mm-hmm. right up to i think the 90s mid 90s after that it's all changing so nice. this book is actually a heads up to both the sexes one is also to warn the women that okay today you may be bringing in the the bacon uh, uh-huh. but do you want to adopt the the toxic masculinity of the men that you've known because Ooh. a lot of times men became very insensitive because uh-huh. they felt that their role was restricted to being outside the house and earning making the bread right being the bread right winner. right so in the four walls of the domestic space they were not sensitive to what the wife was going through uh perhaps they were not spending enough time with the children they were not around for their own parents because uh-huh. they were so busy just making the money so the right. warning in the book is that if you ladies become like that uh-huh. then you're not learning from the mistakes of that rat race and that mindset you know right. so i told the ladies that no matter how powerful you become remain engaged with your feminine side remain uh, uh keep that feminine woman inside of you who can you know hug a child who can sort of lick a wound an inner wound of a human being in your home of a family member who needs you uh, mm-hmm. don't give up on that side of the feminine uh, uh, self of yours it's a very special and it's very precious and it's helping us to keep our sanity also sure. you know if you just become this humanoid then you become like this character in the network you know that movie of uh, the hollywood film from the 70s 1976 there's a lady who's entered the network business and all she's uh-huh. thinking 24/7 is how to engage people how to win audiences how to grow the network how to make money and she sees a much older man who can't relate to her he says you're just a humanoid you've just become a machine mm-hmm. i don't even feel like with a human being who can love me back Ooh. you know yeah yeah so this, yeah. so there are some pretty powerful narrations within this book wonderful and um so we're looking at um stories of how many women and is it all women or do we have um any men who have shared their uh, we have. stories we have because i wanted to create a balanced picture so Wonderful. i have seen yeah i have about i didn't do really a head count because uh the main voices in the book i think are about eight women lovely and they opened the book with their photographs and you know a little description because right. i didn't want to treat them as anonymous voices i wanted them to become real on right. the page so i included their photographs and a little bit of their you know career journeys and Lovely. the rest of the quotations are here and there like they not may not be the major players in the storyline but there are insights from some of the guys who are not featured in in the pictures there are uh, uh, we quoted a, a lady who is a family constellation therapist called alicia halani mm-hmm. and okay. her work actually her work has uh, opened the pandora's box of the patriarchal patterns in indian families and uh, she so there were like you know, to answer your question there were a diverse set of voices that also are part of the book so there's no count that i've really done right wonderful yes the chapters were developing i was incorporating more voices i've got dr rajesh parekh who's uh, india's biggest uh, psychotherapist psychiatrist Ooh. 
and he's been on a lot of panels to do with depression in the during the pandemic around the world global panels and they just launched a book by Nita Ambani as in she uh-huh. launched a book so i've i have very serious very respected people who have offered insight if right. where the indian mindsets are and where the family and the coupling mindset so to answer to particular question a little further um the constellation therapist she identified a problem where adult men are children when it comes to their mothers so somehow they're not right. able to release the mother enough uh-huh. to accommodate the wife in their mm. emotional self so she yeah. helps a lot of families <clears throat> where she makes dialogues happen between the son and sometimes an absentee mother and mm-hmm. they put a stand-in toy or a puppet or something that or even an actor who becomes uh-huh. the mother for that time and then they have this discussion about how they need to balance the equation between mother wife uh you know and husband right. so that at least the wife doesn't feel like i'm just some outsider that's kind of piling into a family situation right you know? and that often wreaks havoc with the marriage if you consider that today's women are already individuals and they're independent when they get married you know so how do you just throw them off the deep end into a family environment where right. she's a newcomer and then she makes sure that she adjusts to every family member that exactly. there exactly exactly right incredible oh. and um sangeeta did you find uh, researching or putting together the voices of all these powerful people um yeah. difficult during this time as in do you believe it would have been easier um if you had face to face interactions as opposed to you know trying to to work around the lockdown uh actually no because even as a journalist what i had somebody had asked me about this Uh-huh. Bombay traffic being the way it is we had learned to do a lot of our work either through zoom calls and zoom recordings or whatsapp calls or you know recording devices acr or call recording mm-hmm. uh, because there's just so much traffic and when you do movie star interviews there's so much going on on the set that they don't have much energy left at the end of a shoot so mm-hmm. either we'd have a separate interaction with them after a photo shoot or then we would follow up on a call a recorded call and then right. transcribe it so honestly the pandemic did not hamper the interview process really right you know of course you do feel more intimate when you're sitting over a cup of tea or a coffee and chatting with people uh-huh. it's a, it's a different dynamic but um i felt that this is even better in some ways because when people email you back there's less chance that they would be misquoted there's oh. less chance that the context would be changed right of a statement Uh-huh. so and there's a ready reference in case things do go wrong each one can pull up a mail and say look i think this is what you were saying you know right so i i don't think the pandemic put a spanner in fact people were freer to come back earlier like uh-huh. on a regular working yeah on a regular working schedule people generally need a week or 10 days to come back but right. during the pandemic since life was generally slower it was a big facilitator for people to come back wonderful yeah. wonderful yeah. and uh, but the launch must have been different from your prior books yeah. you've written many yeah. so um yeah. i believe the launch you want to tell us what that was like this time around yeah so i was actually uh, one of the wonderful things that happened during lockdown was baman irani the actor he was yes. also a screenwriter he started a course called the spiral bound class on zoom and uh-huh. he would have about 100 to 120 of us listening into him and watching hollywood films and understanding structure you know on all the elements that go into wow. making a film 
So since we were already a class and we were like a family, I requested Baman to help me with my launch webinar. Oh, and he agreed. Yeah, he agreed. We just ran into technical issues on Zoom, so I could not uh -huh. broadcast it. Yeah, uh -huh. which was a bit of a pity because I didn't realize that on an Android, if you're recording, you're not going to have a recording. You right. know, so we, didn't, we weren't able to take it forward on a broadcast. But after right. we did the launch webinar and we had a very good discussion, uh -huh. uh, we then I did a talk with Suchitra Krishnamurti, who's a singer, actress, right. also a right. childhood friend from school. And uh -huh. she launched a Zoom Live, which you put on Facebook Live. And uh -huh. we had people from my book, two people from my book, and we had a filmmaker and Suchitra and me having conversations around the book. And Wonderful. it was fascinating because one of the men on that particular seminar, that one got about 7,000 views and I was very happy that, you know, the conversations were growing. Right. Uh, so one of the young men on that panel, his name is Rahul Jaktiani, and uh -huh. he's a businessman and he's an influencer, travel influencer. So right. he was sharing very interesting accounts of women in India. He says somehow they keep thinking that the man has to be an old-fashioned provider no matter how successful or evolved they consider themselves. Mm. And they all, mm. they don't ever think that maybe we should grow together with the man. They want like a ready-made package. So mm -hmm. he was sharing really, really funny accounts of a girl he dated who told him like, uh, frankly, you are a member of the CCI club and my father's already a member there. So <laughs> I think I need to date. Yeah, I need to date a guy who's a member of the Bombay Gym or the Bridge Candy Club because that would just make more sense. So, you know, that yeah. level of pragmatism in women uh -huh. that he's dated in Bombay. And then he uh -huh. says, whenever it comes to sharing the bill, they don't want to pay. So they'll start fidgeting with their credit card or fidgeting with their phone or going to the bathroom and they let a guy pay. So, you yeah, know, it's interesting the two sides of the coin. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, yeah I guess so. That, that's why I asked the, prior, uh, the previous question about did we get some of the insights from the, uh, the male side as well. Wonderful. Right. And um, Sangeeta, this is not your first book. You've written a, several other books prior to this. Uh, in yeah. fact, you had Shakti in the City and Bollywood on the Bend, which I believe yeah. are fictional. Um, but how fictional are they? That's a very good, it's a trick question because a lot of us are tapping and cannibalizing on our own experiences when we do fiction. Uh -huh. um, but you know, you have to, I mean, I think journalism had helped me to get into other people's psyches. So right. Bollywood on the Bend, I was actually very inspired uh, because I was seeing that the ethos of Indian cinema was showing the kind of breakdowns that were happening in real Indian society. So mm -hmm. commitment phobic and, um, there was a lot of uh, this sort of commercialism that was coming in. Uh, there was more technology that was getting infused with storytelling in the movies. Uh -huh. uh, for example, there's a reference in the book that when Lagan, which is an Oscar nominated film, uh, when they had that very beautiful evocative song on the rains coming in. That's I don't right. know if you've seen Lagan. But Many know, times over. So that time, they didn't have to wait for the clouds to actually manifest. They managed to do the clouds in post-production. So oh. for me, I was actually working in the same building as Karan Johar's office, Dharma production. So right. I used to overhear the technicians in the elevator and outside and around talking about, okay, we'll do this in post and we'll do that in post-production. So, and you know, we cover so much about the movie. So I just said, I'm bursting to tell the story of an India that is changing and right. that is reflecting in Indian cinema now. 
you know and of course my preoccupations were like i was an nri before i came to india and nris generally very sheltered lives and they have very old fashioned ideas of how to live and mm-hmm. what i was seeing around me was changing in india was changing so quickly you know where you know people thought it's okay to cheat on a partner they thought it's okay to have a fling here and there um people were being very casual about connections uh, emotions were taking a back seat it was all here and now um and the old traditional family systems were also breaking down so i said obviously this is all going to manifest in the movies right so i tried to write as objectively as i could but in a fictional format so that it's alive mm-hmm. and it's exciting and right now i'm in conversation with friends who work in la to see uh-huh. whether bollywood on the bend can become a very interesting web series because Ooh, there's a lot of nice growth yeah the character arc is arcs are very interesting uh, the lady right. who's not from india tamanna the writer she has these conversations which are slightly hallucinatory with all the gods indian gods and goddesses so those conversations would look fantastic on screen Wonderful. you know if they were made into proper dialogues on screen they would be really amazing so that's bollywood on the bed and shakti in the city was actually um, sort of a work in progress through my academic years i was at st xavier's college in bombay and uh, again became a little female centric because then i did a diploma in mass media which was uh-huh. only for women purely for women and then we ended up doing an av on alcoholism where uh-huh. i attended alcoholic anonymous meetings and i was furtively writing things as people were saying them because i found them to be brilliant mind it it's wow. amazing how alcoholics can be such bright people you know mm-hmm. so that became a story on a lady who was an alcoholic a very elegant very erudite professor but she was extremely lonely because she was so intelligent and she had a drinking problem and she meets an editor of a major newspaper at an alcoholics anonymous meeting and he then takes a curiosity about her so it's a pseudo love story but he's a happily married man So it's uh-huh. a one encounter kind of thing where it's a very powerful encounter for both of them. And uh, but he's not in a position to change her life because he's already committed and you know whatever. Right. So um that is a one story that is in fact an award winning story it featured in Gentleman magazine. Wonderful. And uh, it was called Ferment just one word ferment. You know because it was about her fermented spirit how the yes, city had yes. grown a uh, very funny aspects into her uh the compromises she'd had to make if she wanted right. to venture into journalism all of that so ferment was an award winning story so shakti in the city also turned out to be fascinating to launch at shobadi launching it at a friend's Lovely. gallery uh, and the third book encounters with the rich and famous is by far That's the what i was coming to yeah oh, go so, ahead you want to ask me about that yeah. yes in fact so- So the other two were fictional but uh encounters with the rich and the famous that I get the title right. correct that yeah. is absolutely not uh fictional right i mean this is your actual encounters so go ahead and tell me a little bit more yeah so encounters was quite fascinating because at hello we mm-hmm. actually brought royal families into the forefront and right. the first few years that i was there that was my main preoccupation reaching out to princess diya kumari of jaipur uh getting the baroda very reticent family to allow us to come down photograph them in lakshmi vilas palace which is the world's largest private residence i i just found wow. this aspect of my job so fascinating that it uh-huh. wasn't work to me it was a privilege you know and um my boss also realized and she recognized that yes these families have amazing stories to share 
And right. all we did as a brand, as we rebranded these families. We brought them back into the limelight. We used to carry beautiful clothes, beautiful jewels, style the family because they had long given up that lifestyle. Wow. You know, in post-independence India, they were treated just like the common people are treated. But they had these white elephant palaces and museums and no extra grants or any support coming in from oh, uh, you know, government bodies. So they had all become very creative in how to uh, monetize the legacy, monetize the heritage, work around tourism boards, build up the museum from scratch. So very admirable journeys that they'd all had. So uh, the early years at Hello for me, the biggest high was you know, focusing on the royal families. Then right. slowly, slowly, we became very engaged with films, film people. Uh, I met stars virtually every month for the cover story because I was the, considered the best at profiling these uh, movie stars. So month mm -hmm. after month, I would be sitting across an Amitabh or an Aishwarya. And Aishwarya, I remember we, we had a lovely chat at Chantilly. Uh, there uh -huh. was an event hosted by Longines. Uh, uh -huh. And they brought her, it was a race that was sponsored by Longines. And she's the ambassadrice de elegance, you know, the Ooh. elegant uh, ambassador. Uh -huh. So they brought her on the race course on a chariot, you know, because they had to make that drama that Aishwarya Rai's here and everything. And we found out that the only other woman who had that honor was Queen Elizabeth 35 years ago. <laughs> and nobody, nobody really knew Aishwarya was five months pregnant. And she was wearing these really long pencil stilettos. And she got off the chariot, she walked up on the grass, and then they had to take her to the podium, the judging uh -huh. stand, you know, because she's with the jury. And I just found that utterly fascinating that she carried herself with so much grace and finesse in an international setting. And a lot of journalists from Taiwan and Spain, Italy, Europe, they were all in awe of her. And they uh -huh. couldn't believe she was Indian. Because of the popular perception of Indian, if you think about the kind of movies right. that have gone international, <clears throat> is Salam Mumbai, Slumdog Millionaire. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. these were all our global movies. So everybody thought right. of us as poor. Like, okay, even if India has new money, India doesn't have beautiful people. That's the way they thought. <laughs> and so they kept asking me, is she really Indian? Is she mixed blood? Uh -huh. You know, does she have foreign blood? I said, no, uh -huh. no, she's 100% Indian. Right. So anyway, and um, it was a joy to be an ambassador for India at all these, you know, international events. Right. And yeah, so like that, Encounters with the Rich and Famous was an organic part of my journey as executive editor at Hello. Yeah. And it I gave us you. access to some phenomenal people, corporate, uh -huh. you know, and they become your friends. It's not like you're chatting with them all the time, but there are very wonderful times where they were chipped in on a dream project, like when I had to launch my book. Uh, I remember the Bhosleys of Pune, they own the Regis Hotel halfway through. Uh -huh. And uh, my friend Nivedita, she's childhood friends with the family because they're all, Pune is a lot smaller than Bombay. That's so the right. families go back a long, long way. So he actually said, okay, let's chat about how you want to launch your book. And I went over to his house and we had a lovely conversation about what's in the book. And he right. was very impressed by the stories. I showed him the PDFs and everything. So he said, okay, fine, you decide where, where, which ballroom you want to launch your book and we'll help you with everything. No logistics. Beautiful. Wonderful. Yeah. And Sangeeta, yeah. so I'm going to take you back then to um, your journalistic days because I guess um, getting into writing was rather mm -hmm. organic. Um, right. But you've had an admirable ca uh, career in, in journalism um, that's yes. lasted or has uh, been around for the last 
two decades. Am I right? You've been a journalist for about two, yeah, decades? two decades. Yeah. All right. Let's let's hear a little bit more about that. About the journey as as a writer. Yes. 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 Or so even think, the know, early days. Yes. Yeah. Early days, obviously, everybody works very hard because you have to prove yourself from scratch. And I didn't have sugar daddies or sugar mommies or aunts or uncles in the business. So mm -hmm. I started very humbly as an intern with Midday newspaper. Uh -huh. And I used, to, I used to dread it because my editor used to tell me to take the local train to save time and go to film locations and, you know, capture the mood on the sets and come back and draft stories. So I remember meeting Ritek on one of these uh, stories where I was just a rookie and exploring uh -huh. Bombay and I went to the set of King Uncle. And, you know, I was quite amazed. I was only 21 or 22, but they really made me feel like a star. They insist that I have a drink, that I have lunch with Rakesh Roshan, the director. You know, imagine it's very intoxicating when you're just a kid and you're treated like a VIP. But that was because a tabloid like Midday was almost in everyone's hands in the afternoon. Right. You know? So it was a very right. popular tabloid newspaper. Afternoon, I would say, not tabloid, but very popular noon daily. So I got the taste, I got a taste of what it was like to be a journalist and I liked it. It was quite addictive and I worked very, very hard. So after that, I remember there were no foreign ma magazines in India. We're talking around 92, 93, there were no foreign magazines. Yet. Right. Um, right. So my first appointment with the magazine was Society Magazine. Uh -huh. And I think uh -huh. I made peanuts. I think I spent more than that now just giving tips to people. Like it was really a very low paying profession. Right. And, uh, but I don't know why I just didn't, I had a secure family life. I was, you know, uh, living in a good part of the city. And I don't think at that time money was my priority. I just wanted to do meaningful work. So right. society again was a wonderful platform to break into the city, to meet corporate ladies. I remember we did a day in the life of Anita Garware, who's a very graceful, very elegant Maharashtrian corporate lady. And, uh -huh. uh, and, and what I loved about Bombay was that nobody wanted to be idle. So as mm -hmm. when I broke into the city, that's one ethos that I thought was really wonderful about Bombay is no matter how well off you are or well married you are, every woman wants to take pride in what she does in the city. Right. You know? so, so, and so society was a very nice window into meeting MF Hussain and, you know, Zakir Hussain. And I mean, there mm -hmm. are hilarious encounters with Zakir, which are in my coffee table book. But oh, really? that was society. And then after that, we got, I got, yeah, I mean, I would love to tell you if there is time, but Zakir, I remember initially put me in a real spot and I was like a groupie because I was so in love with his talent and he was <laughs> such a handsome, handsome man. So I used to literally camp wherever I felt <clears throat> I could get time for him and get an interview. So once I went over to his house and I was chatting with his dad, Allah Raka Khan Saab, and Allah Raka Khan Saab said that, you know, artists are protected by the angel. Because uh -huh. he had to go once and give a performance in a small village, which was uh -huh. his native village. And it's, there was a typhoon that was scheduled to attack. Right. And he prayed hard because he had a show and they'd all traveled a long way and everything. So he prayed really hard. And they played, they started the concert. Yeah. So when um, Alaraka Khansa was concerned about the safety of everyone and whether the concert would actually happen, very mysteriously, they went on stage, the audiences showed up, and the storm got diverted. So he, he gave me this very beautiful insight into how the universe tends to protect artists 
And you know, Alaraka Khan Saab and MF Hussain Saab, these people all lived with their art. You could mm-hmm. not separate the art from the person. Okay, even Shobha Day, she is so good with her deadline. She is so prompt. She is so focused on her craft. There was no monetary or other need for her to work so hard. But she yes. actually has been operated for carpal tunnel syndrome because she is such a religiously hardworking woman. Wow. You know, and people who, who get jealous and people who kind of say nasty and mean things, they all need to wake up and, and just realize that fact that if people have a certain amount of recognition, mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. work hard for it and they sustain it. It's mm-hmm. not like a one-off thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that is uh, my insight. So so Alaraka Khan told me this. Then Zakir was in his room sleeping, in, and we're talking about three thirty p.m., like taking a siesta. At four o'clock, we started hearing the tabla in his room. So all his foreign friends, all his international visitors, they all said, "Okay, here goes. He's awake. He's playing uh-huh. the tabla." So you know, Zakir Hussain has woken up, and then. Literally, I mean, on his bed in front of him while he's still like sleepy was the tabla. And I was just thinking that this is what you call a lifelong engagement, where it's so much right. a part of you that you sleep with your tools, you wake up with your tools of expression, you know? Wonderful. Yeah, Sangeeta, um, how do you find um, media, the medium of books? Uh, do you believe it's a medium of the past? Do you see a demise um, in reading on paper? Um, and um, if so, how are you going to adapt to uh, the new generation, Generation Z um, or the iGen? You know, I love your question because I've literally been asking myself the same question day in and day out. Now, what has happened, I think, is that the way the mobile phone stimulates the human mind, uh, one is used to seeing videos now and pictures now more than being able to focus on the on the beauty of language and words, right? And everything is now truncated and everything is about speed. So I myself struggle these days to finish a book, which never used to be the case earlier. So I don't blame a new generation that is being fed a big diet of just imagery without right. too much deeper thought, without too much, without nuanced thinking, you know, without nuanced vocabulary. And Mm -hmm. I've wondered whether or not we should, in our academic systems worldwide now, protect minds, young minds, from this complete takeover of this digital mania, because Mm -hmm. it is going to keep us very acultural. It's going to keep us not able to think deeper. Like, it's a swimming pool. You can either have it the depth of the sea, or Mm -hmm. you can have the depth of a five-foot swimming pool for children. And if more and more of us are only subsisting on images, then our own imagination will cease to operate the way it did when we were younger and we were reading. You know, when you're reading, you're creating that world in your mind. Your writer is just your vessel that she provides you all the cues and everything, but you are actually creating with your imagination. What happens in, in the visual world is that your imagination is put to sleep. You don't need an imagination. Except if it's about creating visuals and then, yeah, then your visual imagination is good. But what happens to the verbal and the literal and the literary flavors and the rich essences of all the beautiful books that exist in the world, you know? So I think, you know, there has been pressure on authors as well to write smaller and smaller books because Uh every year I attend attend the Jaipur Literature Festival. And Mm -hmm. I remember early days, early years when they launched, I think 2009, 
Salman right. Rushdie was on a panel and he was answering the question about whether the novel is dying. Uh -huh. you know, some, somebody actually said, sir, sir, do you think the novel is dying? Mm -hmm. And he said, everything is dying from the day it's born. I don't think the novel is going to be an exception. New uh -huh. forms may come. You know, an old form leaves the world and a new form will show up. But uh -huh. he said that it will always exist as long as there are people who want to use the imagination. You know, if there are people right. who actually shortchanged by just a barrage of images. Now, 2009, we didn't have such super smartphones that were doing everything for us from right. online shopping and all of that. But there's another brilliant book that I highly recommend that people read. If you're going to try and find a balance in your existence between deeper thought, between uh, the need for reflection, and not just being a puppet in the digital universe, then mm -hmm. a brilliant book to read on this uh, is Robin Sharma's The 5 AM Club. Oh, really? I have it on my bookshelf. <laughs> I think you'd love it because, you know, I, it struck me also that he speaks the truth. He says either you become like, you know, when you throw something on a, on a turbulent ocean and uh -huh. you see how, the, how it has to move with all the waves that are coming in. Okay. Right. So when, when you're at the mercy of digital stimuli, which are on uh -huh. your phone 24-7, across every platform that you're on, there right. is so much stimuli that you're just like that piece of little whatever debris that is just riding on the waves of the sea. But uh -huh. you are not in charge of your existence. Your digital world is in charge of your existence. You know? Right. And right. there's a life coach called uh, Kishin Lakhani who also warns people about this when he's uh -huh. advertising his master classes. He says, we're all puppets in the digital universe. So you need to have very, very strong focus-related habits. So right. like 5 a.m. club, I think they actually tell you, why don't you switch off the phone in the morning? And from uh -huh. 5 to 7 or 5 to 8, heal yourself. Work on your stored emotions. Release them through breathing. Uh, work on your body. Dump your nitrate oxides. Uh, stimulate your gray cells. Read a book. You know, Wonderful. so take charge of your existence. Don't just let this digital world like completely rule over you. All right. And yeah. you've mentioned um, some of your mentors right now, Shobha Day being one of them, um, yeah. and Robin Chandra in terms of uh, books. Um, yeah. Any more that you'd like to share with us uh, in whichever area? The person who has crossed my path has very often taught me little to big things. You know, the Queen of Bhutan is somebody, now she's not a writing mentor, but she's a very inspirational figure uh, because I remember she put other people's happiness before herself, which uh -huh. is the culture of Buddhism. Like if any place had to reflect Buddhist philosophy, Bhutan is that place. And right. they have a very beautiful connection with Mother Nature because uh -huh. it's, it's a Himalayan kingdom, right? Now I think they've tried to move towards democracy, but it's a Himalayan kingdom essentially. And, right. uh, and they have an inventory, a ratio of trees to human beings. Yes. So she's like, we always want to maintain that ratio. We don't ever want to go into the concrete jungle. Then they right. have limitations on tourists who can come in. Uh -huh, because yes. again, they don't want to become a victim to the whole tourism business. Mm -hmm. You know? And uh, so she, and what I loved about her, I remember she's so intuitive because she meditated for two hours every morning. And she had this lovely pavilion in the lawns. You know, they had this lovely landscape area near the Timpo Palace. So uh -huh. she had this glass pavilion where she would sit and meditate every day. She showed it to me. And uh -huh. because she was so intuitive, she could pick up your needs. 
very easily. So she was yeah. signing her autobiography for me. And in that she wrote, stay safe and stay happy. And I was at that time on my own in Bhutan because the lit fest got over. And then I had three days to, to sightsee. And I was right. very nervous because Bhutan does not have public transport. They don't yeah. have subways or public buses or any. You have to do private hiring. And I was all alone. And it's a very sparsely populated part of the world compared to Bombay in India. So I was a little scared about getting around and seeing the things that she had described in her autobiography. So, you know, she sent it and I told her, I said, you actually wrote Stay Safe, which is so. And she called her. She had these three bodyguard Gurkhas and she summoned her Maruti car. And she said, now these guys will accompany you to all the special places that are in my book that you want to see. For the next three days, these guys are going to be with you. How wonderful. So I, I just thought that was such a lovely gesture because For in sure. big cities, people are very jaded with media attention. You very rarely get people who are interested in you and what right. your needs are. You know what I mean? Totally. So, yeah. Wonderful. Thank you, Sangeeta. And um, last but not least, uh, what are you reading at the moment? So Robin Sharma's 5 a.m. club. And then I was uh, reading, uh, well, I have such a long list of books. I love reading Amish Tripathi's books and he's out with a new book. Um, I love reading Paulo Coelho. So I was reading Brida about the quest for the soulmate. Uh -huh. And uh, there's all kinds of books I've got here. The Politics of the Womb by Pinky Virani because she was against uh, the hiring of Indian women's wombs ฉันก็ชอบเรื่องนี้ฉันก็ชอบเรื่องนี้ฉันก็ชอบเรื่องนี้ฉันก็ชอบเรื่องนี้ฉันก็ชอบเรื่องนี้ฉันก็ชอบ